This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me today is uh, someone who's been a really uh, warm supporter of the One Heat Minute podcast and has come, as most of our guests do, with um, big recommendations from numerous people. I believe um, I believe originally, and I'm just going to go back and check, uh, and, and, and check here, it was Jordan Harper was a, a, a one of our great guests in episode 97. Um, who came on, and I believe he originally tagged this guest on on Twitter to say, look, this thing exists, you must be listening. Um, And then uh, one of our most recent guests, uh, being um, the awesome uh, John Abrams from Daily Grindhouse, also said, look, this is a guy that uh, amongst the heat people that are in the world, this is someone that you need to have on the show. Um, Thankfully, we've been able to make it happen very quickly, so you're getting to hear him as we're recording this today, Australian time, you're going to get this episode. So it's really exciting for me. This man is an author um, of uh, his most sort of lauded um, piece of writing and novel, Peckerwood, um, is out there. It was published in 2013. Um, he frequently publishes on Hard Boiled Wonderland, which is his personal blog, which I love the t- uh, subtitle is Noir Literature, Film and Culture. And ep- uh, a, a heat fanatic um, and, a fam- and a familiar of uh, LA Takedown, including he does give some great Twitter. This man is Jedediah Ayers. Jedediah, welcome to one hate minute. I can't believe I actually made it here. I, I found out about this podcast. Uh, yeah, I think I was tagged in that tweet with Jordan Harper. I think our, our mutual friend Kent Gowron in Chicago uh, tagged us in that and alerted us to the uh, the concept and the uh, the existence. And then the next thing I know, I'm yeah, I'm 30 episodes in, and Jordan's already recording an episode. And that, yeah. Uh, I feel like I've been, you've been doing this for a while, but I've been caught up in a whirlwind romance here with, uh, with one heat minute. So it's really great to be on. Thank you so much for coming on. And you, you haven't, we haven't given you a minute that has any breathing space. Uh, we've kind of, Jed and I, we've got to throw you like firmly in the deep end, wedged right in the middle of this heist in this huge pregnant pause just before there's gunfire. Um, so as, Tom Sizemore's Michael Torito is walking out of the bank um, into the car with uh, Don Breeden, Dennis Haysbert's character, and we're starting to see LA um, Robbery Homicide Division, Vincent Hanna's team, encroaching in um, and, and trying to sort of trigger this trap and catch these guys in the act without there being too much carnage. But as we know, the preceding minutes, there is going to be that carnage. So we're at the 107th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus. Um, Oscar Hillstrom on episode 104 called it the greatest TV remake of all time, um, uh, which I think is unfair but deathly accurate. Um, So what uh, Jedediah and I are going to do is we're going to watch and listen to that 107th minute 
Um, and, and, and then we're going to dive in because there is just so much to unpack, even in this very, uh, in this, in this 60 seconds, as you know, that's the discipline. All right, let's have a listen. You guys have a listen along too, and, uh, we'll come back and we'll chat. Okay, we're gonna have to take them in the car. Wait till they are all in. Get clean shots, watch your background. Police, move! Move, move, get down. Watch your background, Jedediah. Here we are. Get some clean shots, man. My 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 pulse rate is probably as high as it's going to be all day. <laughs> but, uh, it is. It is one of those. I really it is, think it is one of those scenes, right? That 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 uh that Brian Eno track that's underscoring it is subconsciously elevating everything. And as soon as as soon as Casals, which the awesome West Judy, catches that long glimpse, goes, "There's already they're already in a car." You're like, "Here we go." Here we go. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I love that uh, Hannah on the radio is already acknowledging, yeah, we're about to blow shit up. It's, <laughs> there's no taking these guys any other way. When you shoot, not if you shoot, but when you shoot, get clean shots and all that. That's, uh, yeah, we're, we're about to get bloody. Um, and, yeah, I think Brian Eno is clearly the star of this minute. <laughs> yes, he uh, is. Thing, because as soon as the shooting the shooting starts, I remember 1995 watching it in the theater, and I loved it. I love it more now, but uh, you know, I, I was I was fairly young. I hadn't seen a whole lot of stuff like this. But my big takeaway, I saw it with a friend, and talking about it afterwards, our big takeaway was there was no music during that shootout. <laughs> like yes. it, the soundtrack drops away, and it's just you know, I mean. To be honest, they they could have played something really loud and and heavy, and you'd never would have heard it because the guns are so loud. But uh, but I remember there there was a it was a big deal that the the new sound system that the theater had had put in, and and hearing the bullets plink off of you know things falling to the ground all around you, and that that surround sound. It was there was no music. It was so intense. And uh, but yeah, Brian Eno I think wins the minute with uh, with that. <laughs> That piece. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it and say, right at the beginning of the minute, we're watching Tom Sizemore and Michael Trader walk walk the last few steps to the car. And there's some really good sort of trade craft here. He wanders up to the car. The first thing he does is he opens the front door for Neil. Doesn't even open the back door. And then when he opens the back door, he scooches right over um, to the other side and sort of fills it in so that immediately as Chris and Neil exit the bank, they can get straight in. There's no faffing about and they can get in there. But this is where you show like the true action is the juice moment because you've all in all this intensity and like even even Dennis Haysbert's like really stoic and really firm and his jaws clench really tight. And here's Tom Sizemore like back slapping, like woohoo, this is it. 
this is my fun for the day. Like it's such, it's like so cool, a little performance note and it's not out of place. It's just perfect for that character in that moment to be having a good time. And like the action is the juice is his words, but it literally is in this moment. Yep. That's uh yeah, that's, that's the thing. This is his, this is what he's here for. You know, if, uh, you know, when he, he makes the decision, he's going to go with Neil, whatever you do, I'm going to do it. You know, you could tell, He'd be really disappointed if Neil had said, "Yeah, I think we should walk away from this score because uh, this is clearly what he's on earth to do." Yeah. When when you're watching this in 1995, apart uh, apart from the sound or seeing this movie, like what are the other things um, about this heist? that really struck you? Is it like, were you as, cause you know, you're a noir guy and, and, and crime fiction is, is your beat. And so when you're watching this and you see these guys go and do this job, is it like, it, what, what, what's triggering for you when you're watching it? Are you going, God, these guys are so good. Or like, are you as shocked in the lead up to this, that like Chris doesn't even care about putting his balaclava on or how effortlessly they walk out. What are the other things that you're like jiving with uh, all, all throughout this heist? Well, I am. I, I mean, crime fiction and film uh, are, are absolutely my thing. That's what I'm into. But at the time I saw this, I didn't know that. I liked movies a lot. Um, I'd seen Last of the Mohicans several times and loved it. I think this is probably the only the second Michael Mann movie uh, that I'd, I'd seen at this point. You know, so his name didn't really mean much. I probably knew that. Oh, this is the guy who did Last of the Mohicans, but you know, people don't usually cite Last of the Mohicans as, uh, you know, the ultimate Michael Mann movie. Um, I, I think it's a great movie. I love it, but it's... It's in know, his it's, top... It's, it's in the top five. Outside. It's in the top five yeah, conversation, it, but it's never in the top three or the top two. Yeah, you never point to it as an example of, here's what Michael Mann does really well, though he's doing what he does really well all the way through the movie. It just... I guess because it's a, a historical piece, a period piece, uh, and it stands a little bit outside, outside what you immediately associate with Michael Mann. And so, you know, I didn't really, you know, I'd seen trailers for it. Uh, you know, frankly, I was probably as excited to see Val Kilmer as I was to see, uh, you know, De Niro or Pacino when, when it came out. Um, but, it's one of those movies that revisiting it, you know, I knew I liked it right away, but it's only grown for me uh, in with repeat viewings and with discovering the rest of Michael Mann's body of work um, and, and, you know, picking those things out of it. You know, I tend to think of Heat as the kind of greatest hits of Michael Mann. It's, it's, it's arguable whether it's his best movie, but it's kind of his ultimate movie. Uh, I don't. I don't think anything else is is a better example of of what he does. Um, so watching it when that uh, bank heist happens, you know, I um, I was absolutely jazzed by it. I um, just the the balls on these guys, you know, to walk in. Yes. Uh, and, you know. Michael uh, Cerrito has that little uh, that little smile right before he saps the guard. You know, uh, you know he's clearly loving it. But yeah, they just calmly put on those masks, and then they they just hit a switch, and they're ferocious and scary as hell, 
and very well choreographed and you know they move they move slick there's no hesitation in anything they do and uh and then they're out the door and they're gone and you know if if everything had gone well they'd probably be uh you know having drinks or something like that as we've seen them do in other post heist uh, moments throughout the film um they just flip the switch and they go and yeah it it uh though everything about it rocks right from the beginning it just took several years and and several rewatches for me to uh, pick it apart more and go here's what's really exciting to me about it so yeah I, I love what you said earlier around this being Michael Mann's greatest hits movie. And maybe it's not his best movie, but it's like everything that he is. And it was like earlier today, I was just flicking through Twitter and um, Scott Derrickson was writing about M. Night Shyam- uh, Shyamalan. Who he's like, and he wrote, I love that M. Night has returned unrelentingly to making thrillers. Direct, And this is his, his quote, directors should not strive to emulate the films they most admire, but to make what they are best at making, what is in them and what they're good at. And I just read that this morning before we were going to chat. And I was like, that's, as soon as you said that Michael Mann greatest hits, like in this moment, that's what this is. Like this guy, Michael Mann as a filmmaker is, is flicking the switch and is making the thing that's been inside him that he's been working toward his whole life almost. And it's, it's all of that stuff coming together for this movie. Um, And in, and in this scene and in this minute, it's just like the the orchestration. It's 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 the payoff. It's the planning. It's like this whole big movie is is uh, you know people people have talked about on the show as we've, as we've been coming along and as you've been catching up on the episodes. You know what's Michael Mann's current project? What's he working on? And I and I use Vincent Hanna's line a lot, which is like, we'll just see if there's any highline burglaries that have mystified the police because he's good <laughs> enough to be taking down scores even in his off time. So yeah, like I I, I think that that's you know, it's it's when you see a filmmaker like really operating in that that area, that um, you know philosophical area or genre area that you know is is their best expression. They just like they just sing. There's just something about it. Michael Mann in Crime, it, it's it's that the, you know that's why all those the, the crime movies, the Thiefs, and the even the Jericho Mile, you know, his, his debut TV movie or Vice, you know, people are just like that's that's this guy. Absolutely, and you know, he having so much material that he'd already done verbatim in other projects, whether it's L.A. Takedown or you know, there's a scene directly out of Crime Story with Dennis Farina uh, that's replayed, you know, beat for beat uh, in in Heat, uh, where uh, Al Pacino catches you know Xander Berkeley, Ralph, in his house, and he. He says, you can fuck my wife and <laughs> eat my food, but you can't watch my motherfucking TV. You know, he takes the, <laughs> the TV and then he kicks it out of the car uh, onto the street later. I mean, that scene is beat for beat exactly in a uh, crime story. And um, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm thinking now, I think once he finished Heat, I, I think he was done with those. I mean, obviously the themes continue, but... But I don't remember seeing scenes from Heat uh, replayed in other uh, Michael Mann projects, the way things that are in Heat are being replayed from, from previous Michael Mann projects. Uh, but, yeah, it's like he, I finally got this scene seen 
the, uh, <laughs> yeah, fi- the, I finally, the level that it needs to be. Yeah, I finally got it. You know what's so you know what's so weird is that when you're saying that as well, I'm sitting here, 107 episodes into a 170 episode podcast project after having written countless articles, a university thesis, um, appreciations, gushed about heat in several other podcasts, uh, and and getting to this point and going. I think this podcast is finally going to, like, about this movie is finally going to satisfy me. For God's sake, I hope so. Because I don't want to be standing there like Vincent Hanna holding the dead hand of the thing, the one thing that was like my, my that was my match and just like staring off into the distance, melancholic, like <laughs> Moby playing over the background, like not knowing what to do with myself. But in some ways, that's Michael Mann, right? Like that's... You know, you you nail everything to the pitch perfect that he was going for here, and I think you're so spot on. It's like he was working through these themes, expressing them, little flares and touches on television, television movies verbatim with LA Takedown, and then he finally gets it. It's like it's that second or third chance or fourth chance or fifth chance to get something, and you just throw the kitchen sink at it with all the right cast, and, and it, it all comes off better than he could have ever imagined. Yeah, and, you know, Listening to your show, I gotta say, this is an impressive collection of nerds. You've had. I mean, really, really, I, I'm I'm outclassed uh, in a lot of ways because uh, you know I, I, you guys know the dates things were shot on and the uh, you know what kind of preparation went into things. I don't know any of that, frankly. I don't really care about any of that. I like listening to you guys talk about it. I just like watching it. And, you know, I don't generally watch directors' commentaries, things like that. Would I go see Michael Mann talk? Absolutely, I'd go see Michael Mann talk. But, but I, you know, I think what he's not going to say anything in person better than the way he says it on film. And I'd just rather watch the film again and again. And, and so that's, that's what I do. I don't know, uh, was L.A. Takedown, uh, do, you, do you know, was it made with the thought that uh, I'm going to redo it, you know, I'm going no, defi- to do it again. I'm going to uh... definitely not. I think LA takedown was thought of as, um, so there's some conjecture in things that I've read. And so I'll make sure I, I put a, uh, an asterisk on that and just say this conjecture saying that was LA takedown made to be the beginning of a television show kind of like a robbery, what robbery homicide division eventually like aspirationally was, which was to, you know, kick it off with someone like the Vincent Hanna character and then just keep running with it. Like, and then have huge villains much in the way that Miami Vice had, like you have these huge overarching, you know, series long villains that you're pursuing while, you know, tackling other things. And I think LA takedown was Michael Mann trying to find a way to have an expression of this, you know, this great Charlie Adamson story into into you know film or, or TV movie and decide what was going to happen from there. When it didn't, when it didn't go much further than the TV movie, I think they abandoned the idea or the prospect of going, you know, via TV again. But I don't think he'd ever thought that it was just going to be a tester. It was. It was. He he thought that he was done with it. And I guess you as an author as well and me as a writer and sometimes like, you know, that, that question of when things are done, um, it's almost an impossible question to ask for something that's like a long enduring project. Like how long is a piece of string? How long is this thing going to go for? And I think with Michael Mann here, he's like, 
he, he tried it and, you know, when he knew it didn't come off, but he saw the potential, I think that's what still sort of scratched at him where he was like, I think there's a way to tell this story on a bigger scale than with more ambition perhaps than I had originally. And it just, and you know, I just need, I, I needed to do that to see all the things I would change. That's funny because he does, you know, themes I think are way more important than say characters are for him. And, and themes are more important than say plot is yes. for him. Uh, but, you know, like, a, like, say, a musician, a blues musician or a jazz musician, uh, he's working within a, a, a framework, um, and he's just kind of improvising, or, or not necessarily improvising, obviously he does a lot of preparation and things like that, but he's, he's variations on this thing, and there's a discipline to it, but there's a, you know, you don't, you don't get mad that uh, some great blues musician put out another song and it's, oh he's doing the 12 bar thing again you know i don't yes <laughs> you know you don't you don't get upset about that in the same way michael mann has got these things that drive him and he keeps going with them and he's he's still doing that even though there's not like i said i've not noticed things from heat showing up uh in later work uh he's still doing that you know the you talk about robbery homicide division and i mean the plot of I want to say it was episode eight or nine, uh, is exactly the plot of the Miami Vice movie. Um, so it's, uh, you know, he's clearly, I, and it's not, it's not an amazing plot. It's, it's a pretty, it's a sturdy plot. Uh, but it's not that story had to be told. It's, uh, that, uh, I think that's a framework he's comfortable working in, uh, doing the things that interest him. And, um, uh, yeah, it, I, I didn't want to say that he doesn't have characters that the people don't seem flesh and blood. They, they do seem flesh and blood. They do seem like real people, but they are very, you know, we, we kind of only see a little glimpses of who they are. Um, uh, they, we see this one aspect of, of their life, but we don't, uh, they seem authentic, but they don't they're not exactly known. Yeah, and I think all of his characters, what really works for him, just to jump on what you just said there, Jedediah, it's like what really works for him is when he constricts people, uh, constricts the story to this like framework, it's like a genre, you know, it's much of the same um, confines that really great genre filmmakers, you know, impose on themselves when they're working in particular genres um, because, you know, there's certain things that, you know, is expected to happen and it's all the ways that you massage and you tweak it and you um, subvert the audience's expectations that make it really work. But it's within the confines of his structure, there's also these characters that have this innate programming. It's almost like these are the things you expect these characters to do. And what's great about Michael Mann is that he might have a character that fits the program according to the structure, but what is also pretty outstanding is um the way that he makes you understand what every character's choices are and if it's a tough choice if it's the most impossible choice you watch them agonize over those choices or make the wrong decision and then deal with the fallout i think that's what's really great is that like throughout this big thing 
we're we're always getting these agonizing moments, these crossroads where people are about to make a decision and we're having to deal with that. And like, you know, even at the beginning of this minute, you've got two guys, you know, one's backslapping a guy who's just agonized over this decision to do it. And another guy's cartwheeling, like, woohoo, like this is what I live for. And so I think that that's, you know, they're playing their roles, but it's like the the very best of the Michael Mann movies um, are, are actors that are really great at portraying that that impulse and that programming, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, yeah, I like, I like Tom Sizemore as a performer a lot. I don't think, uh, he, he rarely got the chance to be as, uh, as upfront and, uh, center and, and doing this kind of role. Couldn't agree um, more. At this level. Um, but you know, he's such a great, great performer and great presence in this, film val kilmer how how dead-eyed scary is he in, <laughs> like those diner scenes and, you know he's got those little scars around his eyes and things like but he is uh, you know uh, he came absolutely alive he shook off the ghost of jim morrison for like one movie and and he was scary as hell in this uh in this flick and um uh you know obviously the people working with man he picks picks people uh for what he, they can do, but but they obviously step up and and do, uh, they they do do quite the job. Oh yeah, I I, I love it. I, I lo- mean, even Bud Court. <laughs> Freaking Bud Court! What a jerk he is in this movie. The guy to intimidate Dennis Haysbert, right? Yes, and and he did it. He nailed it. It's like amazing, yeah. amazing. The the Val going back to Val. Like, I think Val Kilmer, they tried to make him too charming. Like, and even, you know, when people say, you know, Batman Forever, picking him as Batman, I don't think it's a bad choice ever to, at this time, to have this, to have Batman. But they had him play Happy Sunny Batman instead of, like, Stone Cold Sociopath Batman. Because this guy's, like, when he's at his, at, at his career heights, it's always, you know, st- like, I, it's always stone cold sociopath or just like insane. And you look at him like as Jim Morrison or as Doc Holliday or as Chris Chehalis. And they're like, they're the top three performances of his career in my mind. And like, and you know, or just, you know, ferocious and sardonic, like gay Perry in, in, um, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Like, you know, he's not, he's not a nice guy. And I think anytime anyone tries to play him as a nice guy, it fails. But when you play him as this guy, like this stone cold shark with you know blonde hair. Like this is this is what he is. Yeah. So I mean, I'd take exception for Nick Rivers and Top Secret. Oh, Top Secret. Yeah. Matt he's, Hardigan he's, and he's, Willow. I mean, come on. <laughs> he's pretty. Got a lot of charisma and, and uh, dashing do about him. Uh, but you're right. He's. This is a totally. This uh, is just a granite, granite character. And there's that one point where he uh he confesses to De Niro that the you know the sun rises and sets with Ashley Judd that the you know he's um that that relationship means that much to him you wouldn't you wouldn't guess it watching him but he's when he's working he is so in the zone uh he's scary scary as hell what do you think some of the what do you think it is about heat as a heist film that it gets so right about a heist 
because crime, you know, there seem to be great crime films and there are great heist films, but there seem to, the heist, like the actual heist films, they seem to be so much more sporadic, you know, like how to deal with a great heist film, you know, Um, and, and, you know, I really adored Logan Lucky, you know, but that was very much in the, in the model of the originals Ocean's Eleven, but with, you know, just in my mind, a much funner crew um, uh, than the original Oceans guys probably. Um, you get like Dog Day Afternoon. I mean, Inside Man was really, you know, really, you know, punching um, Quick Change, which is a, a Bill Murray, a great Bill Murray film, which probably did the Inside Man concept, you know, 20 years earlier um, without any of the sort of political machinations. And then they don't seem to come up as much. Like a great heist film, they're they're around, but the heist seemed to, you know, fall flat. Yeah, the last one was probably Sexy Beast. I'd say yes, that was you know the last one I look back on. Now I like heist films and I like to watch them, and I, I've enjoyed many since. But when you say what's a great one, I'd say you know Sexy Beast is probably one. the last last great one uh, that I've seen, um, unless you count something like uh, Animal Kingdom where you don't actually get any heists, but it's very much about a, you know, a heist crew. Um, but, uh, but I think what, what works so well for Heat uh, and works for Thief and works for other stuff is that uh, Michael Mann is uh, pretty obsessed with process. Uh, that, you know, you've got the Tom Noonan Kelso character. You've got the John Voight Nate character. Um, these guys who... You know, they're not thieves, exactly. They're the planners. They're the facilitators. They're the middlemen. You've got, uh, you know, on the other side of that, you've got uh, um, the uh, William Fickner and... and yeah, uh, Roger Van Sant. Yep. Henry Rollins and things like that. You know, they're these, these people who exist in this world, and they have their little roles, but they're little cogs that make uh, this wheel turn. And so you see, you know... Heist films tend to get too cute, you know. They're it's like a magic show uh, that suddenly, oh, you got the loot or you got what you're after, and then uh, there's this little, you know, kind of uh, for the cheap seats um, reveal of you know the very broad strokes. You're like, how much fucking time did it take to put that together? Are you kidding? Who reverse engineered this? <laughs> this, you know. I mean, I think talking to the Oceans films, I, I actually think Oceans 12 is maybe uh, underappreciated for being so stupid. I mean, it, it just, I mean it, it's reveal after reveal after reveal uh, until, you know, I think it's, it's one of Soderbergh's most playful films, and it's, it's fun for that, but my God, is it stupid. It is and really it stupid. Goes to the, and it, it, you know, it... It's like, well, yeah, you, you know, we're just uh, just pulling this out of our ass, and it's 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 dumb, dumb, dumb. Uh, and that's and that's one... and that's what and that's what's so much better about something like Logan Lucky, which is that it is about process, yeah. and it is actually hot. Like they're doing things with process, and things mess up, and there are pratfalls, but it's a process. Like they're putting money in bags, and those bags have to go to a truck, and you know, and and right. someone has to be driving that truck, and if they got to bust someone out of jail, they got to. They've got to find a way to make it happen. And it is silly, but they're like, I'm going to show you all the things that we did to make this somewhat plausible, that it could happen. Um, but right. yeah, like in Ocean's 12, they abandoned that. 
they've they abandoned, they abandoned <laughs> they the rules. Did. They abandoned all the rules about what what is plausible in real life in physics, and they're like, all right, this is what it is. Yeah, but in this one, you know, you got to have a fake ID to go to Arizona or wherever to buy the explosives. You got to have, uh, you know, this Kelso guy who just sits in his wheelchair and snatches information out of the air and, and, you know, plays around and he sells these ideas. And you got Nate who, you know, connects people. He can get you IDs and he can get you a, you know, Jeremy Piven doctor and things like that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, a Jeremy you know, Piven the, doctor the, is, uh, is something I've never needed, but, um, <laughs> but, but maybe we, we need to get, that needs to be in the yellow pages. I want a Jeremy Piven doctor the next time who, who I leave with his shirt. Uh, Absolutely. Something that kills me is Jordan Harper had a script about a Jeremy Piven doctor for a a TV show that, uh, God, it would have been great. Um, And I don't know why nobody bit on that. If anybody's listening, seek Jordan Harper out. Look for his mob doctor uh, script because it's it's excellent. Oh, that sounds Um, great. That sounds great, especially if it's like a vet because that's what's cool about, um, you know, that – they can't really go to the right doctor. They've got to go to like a vet or something right. like that who, who's just or doing David their Duchovny damn best. playing God, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's disgraced. He's, he's a druggie and, and dis, you know, loses his license or something like that. Oh, that's good. Well, Jordan's um, going to be back on the show. I'm going to definitely mention it to him. I'm going to definitely mention it again. Oh, yeah. No, definitely do. That guy is uh, he's, he's really terrific. Um, uh, something that uh, struck me... Um, is uh, watching this that um, there's not much dialogue in this minute. No. Uh, but the lines, the lines that are there, uh, uh, specifically with uh, Vincent Hanna, you know, get clean shots, watch your background. It's almost, it really struck me that I think Vincent is Michael Mann's stand-in in this movie. Really? Um, that's that it, a great... It really that's a... is kind of a, it's a romance between, uh, you know, uh, between Hannah and Macaulay, and, and it's it's really very much Hannah's obsession with Macaulay, not the other way around. You know, he's he's sharp. He's uh, he loves him. He's just fascinated with this guy and going after him, and very much the way you know a romantic. Um, uh, relationship is, is is played in in most movies. Um, he's obsessed with him. He is, you know, he's only what he's chasing, and uh, he admires him so much. Um, and it, it's almost like in that scene, which is so busy, there are so many cars, there are so many people on the streets. I mean, watch uh, watch LA Takedown, and it's a much much less populated uh shots you know i'm sure most of that's the budget yes but there are so many moving parts in this uh scene that really do uh, sell uh give a lot of impact you know watching the difference between the la takedown shootout and and the uh uh the heat shootout is it's it's those things really do make a difference. And it's, I think those lines are almost Michael Mann talking to himself, you know, watch your background, get clean shots, get, you know, uh, pay attention to the craft. Now we're coming right down to it. Do your job, 
do it right, stick to the fundamentals, and just, you know, execute correctly. And, and that just struck me that, uh, you know, you talked about the end of this podcast. You don't want to be sitting there holding your, you know, dead Neil McCauley in your hand <laughs> and going, ah, there was so much more we could have done with, you know, am I finally ready to let this guy go? And, and I think that's probably a good thing that uh, L.A. Takedown didn't become a Vincent Hanna TV show. Uh, because you know, would we have ever ended up with this? Which and and I think that because because Hannah and I think um, uh, Michael Mann are they're in love with Macaulay. You know, that's he is absolutely fascinating to them. They're you know they're absolutely disciplined and uh, they've got great instincts and they're going to chase him down. Um, but you know, if you look at the the things that have fascinated Michael Mann, uh, I, I think, I think the criminals fascinate him more than the cops do, and you know the cops are kind of a, they're his eyes in to the world, and um, you know he admires their, uh, what they do, but, uh, but it's these guys out there kind of you know treating the the civilized world like it's still the Wild West essentially. Yes, um, that really kind of are romantic figures to him, and uh, definitely something he's uh, he's fascinated by and, and chasing down. You know, capturing them. You, you know, he shows us so much process in these movies. Um, you know, you got to break in and disable the alarms the night before. You know, you got to you can go in hard and on the prowl. You got to be able to be versatile that way. You got to. But uh, but but also when the time comes. All that talk of capturing them, like we get really truly to it's like that 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 dialogue so double it's like a it's got that double great double meaning you know watch your background get clean shots and so that's like a a blueprint for him and his film crew to, like in this moment but at the same time it's right exactly but at, but at the same time it's where th- this is a gunfight there's no capturing here. And it's like, it's even done in a very procedural manner, as you said. It's like, get clean shots, watch your background. Like, that's not like, you know, you know, no one comes out of here alive or something like that. It's not quite as dramatic, but it's so cool. It's way cooler than the more sort of contrived BS that we've seen in every other movie. But I think you nailed it so perfectly there, Jedediah, which is like, it's, this is where the stakes just go. No, we're just going to shoot them. Like, cause they're not going to be taken alive. Yeah. There's no way. They're not going to be taken alive. And we'd probably, frankly, probably wouldn't have admire him the way we do. If, uh, if that were the, um, if, if that were a, a, a real possibility, you know, he's just, he sees the Macaulay character as, is out there doing his thing high wire without a net. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of a beautiful, thing for him you know it's much different than um uh you know like the wangro character or something like that who's who's just kind of a you know something you want to step on and and extinguish and put out i think uh you know macaulay's this uh he's a real he's a he's a real uh he not hero he's a real uh romantic figure that that you want to and i think when when man is the way he's capturing him or killing him is by showing how he does this stuff. I mean, uh, 
you know, those idiots who pulled the, you know, the the North Hollywood uh, yes. <laughs> shootout. You know, they, I mean, they clearly didn't. They maybe they were inspired, got an idea from this or something. <laughs> but you know, they didn't do the work. They didn't. Uh, you know, they needed a Kelso. People... They needed a Kelso. They needed You're some right. tactical training. Uh, but by just kind of painting this procedural, here's how we do it, here's how we go in, here's how we, you know, you're essentially, you're potentially putting, putting, uh, I'm, I'm not saying putting ideas in people's heads, I'm actually saying you're, you're maybe exposing, you're like, like exposing the way magicians do their craft. And it's like, ah, yeah. You know, maybe maybe uh, the good ones always got to be improving and improvising and going further. But uh, you know, so many people would probably be like, "Well, you just killed my whole <laughs> yes. my whole shtick. Now the wonder is gone. Everybody knows how I do this, and uh, and I, I think that is kind of like holding uh, holding dead Neil at the airport at the end of the film. Uh, he's just. Well, you got me. You showed everything, and uh, you you took me down, and uh, so there's this bittersweet. Like I'm, he's driven to do it, but he kind of hates accomplishing his goal at the same time. I've I've exposed everything, and I've I've, uh, you know, where to next? What, what's going to be the next big prey that comes around that really grabs my attention and my affections the way? Uh, this one has. Well, I think that is the perfect way to end this episode as Jedediah Ayers fills me with dread at the prospect of ending this podcast <laughs> in like 63 <laughs> episodes time with what what is the next Neil McCauley on my highline because I feel like Michael Mann may be a cipher. Oh, sorry, Vincent Hanna might be a cipher for Michael Mann that I too have uh, have cottoned onto that same obsession because I'm just as obsessed with Neil and Vincent in this movie. Um, and so there's that bittersweet accomplishment that comes with it. But look, ladies and gents, this has been another episode of One Heat Minute. Jedediah, it's been an absolute pleasure um, to chat and thank you so much for your support. And uh, this has been a great convo and I loved... Um, I just loved thinking about those uh, those lines of dialogue, those few lines of dialogue. I'm going to go back and watch them again and again because they are they're just this understated, you know, understated call to action that uh, that has sort of passed me by in previous viewing. So thank you so much for that, um, guys. If you want to follow Jedediah, the best place to look for him is at Jedediah Airs um, on Twitter, which I'll spell J E D I D I A H A Y E R. S. Um, his blog, Hardboiled Wonder Man. R-E-S, actually. Oh, sorry. <laughs> R-E-S. Did I get that wrong? Sorry. I'm so- sorry. R-E-S. R-E-S. Sorry. Everybody spelled- does that. I spelled it wrong. Sorry, mate. Um, and, no, uh, that's okay. And he- the link to his blog, um, Hardboiled Wonderland, is there. And if you go to any um, you know, your Amazon, your Goodreads, you can find um, his work, um, Peckerwood particularly. Um, you can check that out. I'm going to check that out. Get that on Kindle myself. Jedediah, thanks so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for doing the podcast so I didn't have to. <laughs> You're welcome. 
guys. This has been another episode of One Heat Minute. I'm Blake Howard. You can always find me at Blake is Batman on Twitter. Um, One Heat Minute for everything else. We are everywhere you find your podcast, Spotify, iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review. We would love to hear your feedback. Flick us an email to mail at oneheatminute.com um, if you want to. Um, there's been some great correspondence a few episodes ago. We read them out, so I'll collect them. And in an upcoming episode, if you've got anything to say, um, please send it through. We will check that out. But we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner. And in fact, because I know this is going up today, you're going to have an extra special treat of multiple episodes today. So we'll catch you on multiple episodes of One Heat Minute coming right around the corner.